What's up? This is Patrick of RadicCards.com, and in this podcast, we're going to be talking about some stuff that I've blogged about over the last couple of weeks. If you want, you can always go on the site and research the actual articles for the stuff we'll be discussing, at least most of it anyway. Um, so let's jump right into it here. Um, news about PSA. Recently, PSA decided to reinstate grading star company basketball cards. This is pretty important because the Jordan... XRC, his first legitimate card is in the 8045 star run. And to me, that's the first legitimate rookie card. That's his first year. Because really, the 86 Fleer is the uh, it's a third-year card. But the reason why it's qualified as a rookie card is because Fleer had the, uh, the licensing to produce uh, basketball cards that year. But the thing is, Star had that licensing before Fleer did. And Jordan was in a whole bunch of different star products leading up to 86 Fleer. The 8485 star card 101 was actually issued in a Chicago Bulls team set in a cellophane pack that was um, uh, released to dealers and, and through the mail, direct through the mail. It was only really the only way you could get it. The GAI was known to grade the, the sealed sets. So in any case, here's the deal with this, is that PSA used to grade these things in the early 90s, but the plates were found, and the person who acquired the plates reprinted the set. So like, it made it almost impossible to tell between the reprinted ones and the, the ones that were run initially in 8045 that, for that set. So PSA was just like, you know, we're not going to grade these because we can't tell. Well, they've gotten back into it, and they're comparing the Jordans with the cellophane pack, like team set Jordan. So they know how to like figure out what's what, which is good. And right now they're only doing the 8485 stuff and they might include other ones in the future, other sets in the future, but right now they're starting with that. So I think that was a pretty good move because people are really wanting other companies to uh, grade these things. Cause at the, in between it was really just GAI grading the sealed sets and BGS grading the singles. And I don't know if it was because BGS had proprietary knowledge on how to distinguish between the reprinted ones or the uh, initial originals from the sealed packs. Uh, whatever the case, the only ones I've ever seen in, in person, like in the wild, have been the BGS examples. But if you look for, uh, like online, of images of the Jordans the slab, you'll find old PSA slabs with uh, Jordan. I, I've showcased these in an article, so you can go back and check those out. So in any case, I think this is going to be a good move. To me, it's crazy that people don't consider the 8485 star Jordan as the, the rookie card. Some qualified as an XRC because of the way the, the card was released. It was released through a team set. Um, so that's I guess that's qualifiable. To, to me, it's the true rookie card. And I say that because that was his first year playing professional basketball with the Bulls. 8045 year. So... It's, you know, you look on the back of the 86 Fleer card and he had been playing already for two years before the 86 card came out. So the 86 Fleer card is really the third year card, but it's got the better image and everybody loves that set. To me, I'd prefer to have the 8045 star card, not the greatest image of, of Jordan, but still, I think it's the, in my opinion, it's the, the more desirable card. Just for me, if I were to buy a Jordan rookie era card that would be the one i'd want over the 86 fleer 86 fleer is a great card it's significantly more popular uh but it is it, it post dates his rookie year by a few years and so 
kind of an interesting thing. It's a kind of like the, the, the it's a, there's a similar argument with like, you know, which one's Mark McGuire's rookie card. Is the 85 tops or is it the 87 stuff? It really, it depends on how you define rookie card. Is your definition of a rookie card the first time a player appears on licensed cardboard? Or is it the first time he appears on cardboard when he's logged enough, you know, uh, credentials to be qualified as a rookie? And if that's the case, then it would be the 87 card. If you qualified as the, you know, first on licensed cardboard, it would be the 85 card. So it just, they're both considered rookie cards in some degree. Uh, but the price guides would obviously qualify the 85 card as the, 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 the rookie card because that's his first appearance on licensed cardboard. I like both with the, the McGuire. I like the 85. I like the 87 stuff. He didn't have any 86 things that were from main products. He has like a Don Jennings thing in 86. There's nothing else in mainstream products. So there's like, he really didn't come up until 87. Uh, but kind of a cool thing. I, I I I look at kind of like the Jordan and the Maguire that those situations is, is similar to a degree. There's a significant price difference between the uh, 8045 Star and the 86 Fleer Jordan. Like that, those two cards have a drastic difference in price and desirability. They're both great cards, though. Just awesome, awesome cards. I I love them, and I like all that Star stuff. It seems like a lot of people don't appreciate it. But I've always liked it because it has a very classic 80s appear, appearance to it. And I've always been a fan of the, the awesome colors that are used. The oranges and the, the yellows and the whites and the blues and the reds. They're just great looking cards. So in any case, I think it's great that, that PSA is getting into grading those. I, I love PSA. They do such a great job with everything they do. They're just an awesome, awesome company. So I wanted to talk about that. Next thing I want to talk about is PSA lowering their submission fees for low value cards these are cards that have a declared value between zero and 199 so they've gotten them right now the pricing is as low as 18 dollars a card 18 dollars a card down from a few hundred just a couple of years ago when when they had to when there was a huge spike in submissions and they had to deal with the backlog they raised the prices and then at, when that happened you might remember over the last two years that uh a lot of random grading companies just kind of came out of the woodwork and there's nothing wrong with that but the long term of that is going to be tough because once PSA lowers the prices which I always predicted that that, that would happen in time uh, that you would see a lot of these random grading companies try to figure out what their core competencies what their competitive advantage is because at that if they were just in the market because they were an alternative to the high grading fees of the you know the big three or big four then you've got a problem once those those big three or big four lower the prices. And then you have to figure out really how you're going to differentiate. In my opinion, I think PSA is at the top. They, they will always be at the top because they, they celebrate the registry collectors every year. They, they, you know, they, they celebrate their market. They celebrate their, their um, external stakeholders. And I always like that. And at this time, I don't, it's not to my understanding that any other grading company actually does anything even close to that. PSA has the SMR. They're really involved with the collector and I always like that. And you know, like Nat Turner, he's a big collector himself. So it's kind of cool that you have a collector in the, the space uh, contributing to the hobby in that way. I always really like that about Nat. He's a big collector, such a cool guy. PSA, BGS, SGC, and CSG are the four main companies. And then, then there's everybody else. And that's fine. I mean, they're everybody else. I actually wish the other company's success. 
and I hope they're able to like strive through and maintain in some capacity. I do, because I, I, I'm a fan of business and commerce and capitalism. Um, and I appreciate all those things because it creates opportunities and innovations and jobs and all that. So that's those are good for the market. Whatever the case is, with competition comes um, a great deal of innovation, a requirement for innovation to stay ahead, to stay to stay current, to stay competitive. That, that's a great price for to grade a, to grade a card, a PSA, 18 bucks. I don't, I don't remember when they were much cheaper. I think they've been cheaper in the past. I want to say that like 2010, they were eight bucks a slab and then like 20 bucks a slab for like autographed higher end. I think when I slabbed my uh, 1990 Upper Deck Reggie Jackson auto, I think it was 20 bucks back then. And then I slabbed the uh, 1991 Upper Deck Hank Aaron auto and I think that was about 20 bucks as well. Whatever the case, like I think those would be more now because those cards are valued more than the 199 valuation. In any case, I, I just think it, that lowering the price of PSA is just an awesome thing. And I'm, I, I have a stack of stuff to send them at some point. I've been working on this box of two group to be graded cards for like the last 12 years. So Topps accidentally issued a fake dual autograph in 2022 Topps Definitive. I mean, this is pretty ridiculous, right? There's like a Randy Rosarina. Austin Meadows dual autograph card and the autographs are forged, but it was issued through Topps high-end product and the product sells for like $2,000 a box. Like it's a high-end product. So there's really no excuse for this. The only thing I was thinking about is like, why would this happen? And the only thing I can think of is that maybe the person responsible for procuring the autographs couldn't meet a deadline and like had to improvise like, well, crap, we have to, these are due today. I have to find a way to get these out. We don't have autographs yet. So I'm just going to write in their names and then send them out. Maybe people won't know. Of course people will know. That That's the only thing I can think of. Like the only reason why something like this would happen is because deadlines couldn't be met with the like expected protocol requirements. And Topps issued an apology letter uh, and saying, you know, if you pull one of these, you know, send it to us and we'll send you a, a card of, you know, equal value, a replacement card, and then a box of uh, 2022 definitive baseball the chatter online is like oh my gosh so does that mean these cards are worth you know over two thousand dollars i'm like well on the secondary market that could be you know considered but you gotta remember that tops produces these cards so they're not paying two thousand dollars for that that doesn't make any sense tops wouldn't sell something for the same amount of money they they paid to make the product that doesn't that makes zero sense Topps's overhead on Definitive is significantly s smaller, obviously, than 2000. So it's a wash for Topps, really. It's the only way really to save face, though, because this is an egregious error. So the thing with this that it, it kicks me is the biggest problem with this is this, how is this going to impact people's perception of autographs cards coming out of Topps going forward, right? Like, oh, yeah, Topps released this fake autograph and this high-end product. If I buy a high-end product, then I promise to fake autograph in that too. So I think that it's the brand image is smeared a little bit with something like this. I mean, what can you do? I mean, Tops issuing this complaint, this this response is fine, I guess. I just it's it's bigger than getting a free box of cards and a card of equal value. It's it's like the long term of it is is damaging. Uh, I don't buy modern myself. I kind of stay away from a lot of it for a couple of different reasons. And so one. Things like this, fake autographs, right? Two, fake relics. I've seen a lot. I can't tell. They're so good. I can't tell what's fake and what's not in the relic stuff. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to buy it. Three, people cleaning and fixing cards and using wax and sprays and 
and, and smudging out wrinkles. I don't want to. I don't want to know because I, I don't know. I can't tell what's been what on cards, and just knowing that my card could have been like, oh my gosh, it's got all that thing, all that stuff happened to it. It would be really kind of heartbreaking for me to learn that. I like that Modern exists and people open it though because it gives me a chance to buy stuff on the secondary market that I because I don't open wax uh, that I wouldn't otherwise have a chance to get. So in that case, I encourage people to buy it. Uh, you know, just don't let it bring you down. Like I'm, I want to you know build to bring up build up the hobby, not tear it down. I just think that I'm very careful about what cards I acquire because I can't tell fake relic from authentic relic there's so many good ones there's so many they're so good at that most of the time i can tell a fake autograph from a real one for a lot of things and for frank thomas it's really easy because i've seen his autograph so many times because of the the inauthenticity of some things and people cleaning cards and all this I, i'm just like kind of want i'd rather not deal with it i'm a realist i understand the reality of this and it just it is what it is and i have to accept it just try to be as, as um, knowledgeable as possible about what you're buying. Try to really do your homework uh, and try to just know exactly what you're buying. Just do your best. Do, 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 all, it's all you can do is just do your best with what you're buying and, and try, not to, try not to beat yourself up if you find out later that you bought a card that was fake or something in some way and just realize it's not every card. Most cards aren't like that. There are just a lot of them that are, but the percentage is probably pretty low in comparison to the totality of what's produced in a given year. So like this instance from Tops, yeah, it's, it sucks, but you know it's probably a significantly rare instance by Tops because now they're made aware of it, and I'm sure people will lose their jobs over this. Somebody's going to lose their job over this. They haven't already. Obviously, they should, right? So I'm not here to bash on Tops. I always love Tops, so Tops. I'm a fan of Tops, and I hope they uh, do great in the coming years. So that's that. Any case, let's talk about eBay for a sec here. So eBay finally launched their Vault service. Now, if you're unfamiliar with vault services, you pay to have a security service house your items for you for confidence in the fact that your stuff is secure and taken care of no matter what happens to where you live or whatever. So if like your house burns down, your cards aren't taken with it, they're in the vault. Kind of nice. I mean, it's kind of a liability, right? Because if something happens to that, the vault, then your cards are gone. Uh, but there's no perfect solution to these things, but some people prefer to store them in vault services as opposed to like their homes. And that's fine too. Other people do storage units. Other people do like um, safe and secure housing off-site. All good stuff. You got to figure out what works for you and go that direction. I know that PWCC has a vault. COMC is kind of a giant vault itself. And when I saw the eBay vault, I was like, man, that's going to be huge when that happens. Because if you buy a card, you can just send it right to the vault. And it just stays there. And then if you want to sell it it just the ownership just changes hands but the card still remains wherever it is in the vault so the, the item the tangible just remains but the ownership changes over so it's actually convenient in that way you're not having to ship things the only drawback to that is that you don't get to enjoy the physic the physical tangible aspect of your trading card so you're kind of stuck like okay i have it but it's over there in san jose california you know it's not here in you know Modesto or wherever else I live. And I think with the eBay vault, I always think like when that happens, what's going to happen to the other vault services? Is it going to put them out of business, make them, you know, do this is the same thing with the PSA lowering their, their prices on low value cards. If eBay opens their vault, they're really competitive. Then it requires the competitors to 
modified their competitive advantage just so that they can stay ahead of the curve on those things. I want to talk about that because I think it's really cool that you can buy a card on eBay and then send it straight off to the vault for eBay. You know, for those of us who like to have the tangibles, we can just have them mailed to us. But I think it's kind of a fun, interesting sort of angle. I do think that the eBay vault service will be popular. Because we're collectors and we all eat, I thought it'd be cool to bring and incorporate food into some of this content. And I like to talk about business and partnerships and things like that. So back in March, Krispy Kreme and Twix partnered together to create a series of donuts. And you can think about like if a maple donut incorporated uh, like a Twix stuff, it would be like a really good mix, right? Because you got chocolate and caramel and maple, really good stuff. So they have the caramel cookie crunch bar donut, the caramel cookie crunch filled donut, and the mini caramel cookie donut. This existed for a, a short time in March. And I don't eat enough donuts to go to a Krispy Kreme and want to buy something like this. But I think it's cool that the Krispy Kreme joined Twix together to create this donut partnership. It reminds me of the uh, Doritos Locos Taco from Taco Bell that had the the Doritos taco shell for taco. What a brilliant. I talked to Greg Creed, the then CEO of Taco Bell, in person about this uh, at, at an event. And I asked him, I was like, so what, what, how did you start that? Like when somebody came up with the idea, how did you guys like tackle the project? And he said that they went to Home Depot and looked for like a gun that would shoot powder onto a shell. That's like, it kind of started there. And then just like eventually morphed into, because the biggest problem was having a good even spread of the Doritos powder on the taco shell. That was the biggest kicker for um, creating that taco, the biggest, hardest thing to do. And they eventually figured it out. And now you have this brilliant idea of like Doritos and Taco Bell tacos. What a smart, it's just such a smart, brilliant move. This Krispy Kreme Twix partnership reminded me of the, the Doritos Locos Taco in that way. I thought it was just such a cool thing. So anyway, to talk about that because I like food and I'm sure you do too. And I think it's cool to talk about some of these partnerships that happen in food, but also just to talk about food because food is awesome. Thank you for tuning into Radicards podcast on radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno. And until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.